Real news. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is January 6, 2020. Today, they're back in session. We're going to see how and what uh, they're up to, right? The Democrats. Aside from the fact of being treasonous, orchestrating an organized crime ring that is supposedly our house, our government, um, we have these clowns literally going against everything our president is trying to do everything. It's insane. I mean, I, I don't know how else to put it aside from the fact that I'm really, really upset uh, with the way the whole situation is working out and the way they are acting in a sense of anti-American, pro-terrorism, Anything non-American. I mean, that's how I see it, okay? I don't know if all of you see the same thing that I do, but I definitely see it that way, and I am very, very displeased with it. Now, January has come in as fierce as it can. And a lot of people will say, well, why? Why has it escalated from zero to 100, uh, you know, with Iran? And it's like, stop. It's not just Iran. I'll take you back to January. January of 2019, where I talked about the gold standard and how I said the world leaders, (laughs) which are this global cabal are working together to circumvent our actually our, our established long established trade exchanges based on this fiat currency that we call the US dollar right? from the federal reserve and so they got together and decided that they're going to uh Put, go forward with it. So that means that the way they decided they were going to trade European nations and Russia and China, actually all the nations that had signed the GCPOA to be clear, which is also known as the Iran deal, decided that they're going to find a special purpose vehicle, another currency to facilitate non-U.S. dollar transactions and non-SWIFT, you know, our established monetary transactional um, instruments that we have in place, in order for them to avoid breaking any U.S. sanctions that we have in place. In other words, translating that is just because the U.S. says we're not going to give money to Iran doesn't mean we're not. If the U.S. says don't give money to anyone, we're still going to give them money and we're just going to use this system so it's not really breaking their laws or breaking any bound discussions with them. It's just crazy, right? So they discussed this and came to some agreements um, as a new clearinghouse in 2019, right? And it's called INSTEX, Instrument in Support of Trade Exchanges. Guess when they all signed that agreement? Ah, 
the end of November 2019. So these escalations and these maneuvers that we're seeing and this, uh, you know, um, Haji Kassem, who is not who they are telling you he is um, by words, but they're telling you who he is by response to his death was a very powerful man, way up there on the food chain. Assad was his little chick. So when he was taking care of Libya, you know, Libya and Syria, at that time, Haji Qasem was in charge of Syria. Assad was like his side chick, right? He was the errand boy. He was like, uh, you know, a mayor in a village while Haji Qasem was running the show in Syria. Let's be, let's be dead straight so we understand. This guy, Haji Qasem, also made Bush Jr. a millionaire, a millionaire in the early 90s. And that was because of that whole Beirut situation, right? That's how Bush Jr. made a ton of money. Daddy told him, hey, so my friend, you know, says they're invading and there's going to be a lot there. So we got the heads up. You need to sell your energy company there. He sold it. And then a week later, it's like bombs everywhere. Kuwait's done and he's rich. And, you know, Haji was the one that helped make it happen. And Haji's not your everyday random, you know, dude. So that's, that's something, you know, people need to, uh, you know, really understand. Another thing we need to stop and be impartial to, okay, and take a step back and look at history. History always repeats itself, no matter how recent history. So I'm going to take you back to the time where President Trump had just been sworn in and he was in talks with North Korea. Right. And that's where you're going to see where we are, where we are with Iran today. So we're going to talk about that, too. We're also going to talk about a pipeline deal that was signed just four days ago while all of this was happening and the aggressive response to that that you don't probably don't even know about if you're not following it because the media is not telling you about it. But it's all happening. We're going to talk about that. But on a side note, right, let's just, let's just um, revel in a little bit of laughter. Um, those that know me quite well know that I don't like to go to live comedian shows ever, like seriously ever. Um, but the one person that I have gone to see is Ricky Gervais. And I went and he had this whole blasphemous type skit, making fun of the Bible and all these things. You know, for me, it was like, uh, but it was also funny. Um, even though blasphemous, it was still funny. And I loved him for his candidness. And I loved him for him being so straightforward. So I've always been a Ricky fan. And I've been like always saying, hey, Ricky, your cat and my cat can get together with a play date, hoping that he would take me up on coffee. And uh, a couple years ago when he responded to me, he's like, yep, let's do this when, next when you're in London. It's like, yeah, whatever. I'm not going there anytime soon. So I love him. And he's hosted the Golden Globes many times. The last time he hosted them, he totally embarrassed them, calls them out. So it's not like the first time he makes um, jokes like this. And the thing with Ricky Gervais is you can't book him and tell him that you're going to shut him up. That's not the type of person he is. Kind of like 
kind of like the way a lot of people are, even myself. You can't tell me, oh, I want you on as a guest or, hey, I'd like you to come and give a speech at this place. And they've done this before and they know better Um, because I don't hold my tongue. I'm not going to go up there and be, you know, part of a pony show. If you invite me, I'm going to be me and I'm going to say what I know the people that are paying or attending that place are listening, want to hear, right? I I don't do cop-outs. So I want to play the full opening speech. And I'm going to tell you, all of them look so appalled, but it was so darn honest and it's not the first time. So let me tell you something. Ricky's the first person that's going to slap back and clap back because he just doesn't like people that are solid. That's one thing he has. I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll be like, look, I give you respect because you're strong on your feet, but you're you know, POing a lot of people around you. He's the person that'll call out anybody. So don't think that he's like a conservative or anything like that. He's totally not. Um, he's a really big animal um, advocate. Um, and he has a really cool cat that's just like mine, by the way. All right. So let's take a listen to this opening speech. So you can just have a little bit of a chuckle if you missed it. Oh, thank you. Hello and welcome to the 77th Annual Golden Globe Awards, live from the Beverly Hilton Hotel here in Los Angeles. I'm Ricky Gervais, thank you. Um, You'll be pleased to know this is the last time I'm hosting these awards, so I don't care anymore. Um, I'm joking, I never did. Um, NBC clearly don't care either, fifth time. So, I mean, Kevin Hart was fired from the Oscars because of some offensive tweets. Hello. (laughs) Lucky for me, the Hollywood foreign press can barely speak English. And they've no idea what Twitter is. So, I got offered this gig by fax. So, let's go out with a bang. Let's have a laugh at your expense, shall we? Remember, they're just jokes. We're all going to die soon, and there's no sequel. So... Yeah, remember that. Um, But you all look lovely, all doled up. You came here in your limos. I came here in a limo tonight, and the license plate was made by Felicity Huffman. So, no, shush. It's It's her daughter I feel sorry for, okay? That must be the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to her. And her dad was in Wild Hogs. So... Lots of big celebrities here tonight. I mean, legends, icons, yeah? Look, at this table alone. Uh, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro. But... <laughs> Baby Yoda. Uh, oh, that's, that's Joe Pesci, sorry. Um, I love you, man. Don't have me whacked. Um, but tonight isn't just about the people in front of the camera. In this room are some of the most important TV and film executives in the world. People from every background, but they all have one thing in common. They're all terrified of Ronan Farrow. (laughs) He's coming for you. He's coming for you. Look, talking of all you perverts, it was a big year... It was a big year for paedophile movies. Um, Surviving R. Kelly, Leaving Neverland, Two Popes... (laughs) Shut up. I don't care. I don't care. 
Many talented people of colour were snubbed in major categories. Um, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about that. The Hollywood foreign press are all very, very racist. So, <laughs> fifth time. So, we were going to do an in memoriam this year, but when I saw the list of people that had died, it wasn't diverse enough. It just, no. It was mostly white people. And I thought, nah, not on my watch. So, maybe next year. Let's, let's see what happens. No one cares about movies anymore. No one goes to the cinema. No one really watches network TV. Everyone's watching Netflix. This show should just be me coming out going, well done Netflix, you win. Everything. Good night. But no. No. We've got to drag it out for three hours. You could binge watch the entire first season of Afterlife instead of watching this show. That, that's a show about a man who wants to kill himself because his wife dies of cancer. And it's still more fun than this. Okay? <laughs> Spoiler alert, um, season two is on the way, so in the end, he obviously didn't kill himself. Just like Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> Shut up! I know he's your friend, but I don't care. <laughs> you had to make your own way here, in your own plane, didn't you? Right, but m seriously, most films are awful. Lazy. Remakes. Sequels. I've heard a rumour that there might be a sequel to Sophie's Choice. I mean... That'd just be Meryl Streep going, well, it's got to be this one, then. <laughs> All the best actors have jumped to Netflix and HBO, you know. And the actors who just do Hollywood movies now do fantasy adventure nonsense. They wear masks and capes and really tight costumes. Their job isn't acting anymore. It's going to the gym twice a day and taking steroids, really. Have we got, a, have we got an award for most ripped junkie? No. No point. We know he'd win that. Um, Martin Scorsese, the greatest living director, made the news for his controversial comments about the Marvel franchise. He said they're not real cinema and uh, they remind him of theme parks. I agree. Although I don't know what he's doing hanging around theme parks. He's not big enough to go on the rides, is he? <laughs> Tiny. Right. The Irishman was amazing. It was amazing. Um, that, it was. My, my, it was great. Uh, long, but amazing. Um, it wasn't the only epic movie. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, nearly three hours long. Leonardo DiCaprio attended the premiere, and by the end, his date was too old for him. So... <laughs> Even Prince Andrew's like, come on, Leo, mate, you know. <laughs> you're nearly 50, son. Um, the world got to see James Corden as a fat pussy. <laughs> he was also in the movie Cats, but no one saw that. Um, and the reviews, oh, shocking. I saw one that said, this is the worst thing to happen to cats since dogs, right? <laughs> But Dame Judi Dench defended the film, saying it was the role she was born to play. Because she... I can't do this next joke. <laughs> because she loves nothing better than plonking herself down on the carpet, lifting her leg and licking her... Furball. <laughs> Furball. She's old school. Um... It's the last time, who cares?
Oh. Apple roared into the, the TV game with a morning show. A superb drama, yeah. A superb drama about the importance of dignity and doing the right thing. Made by a company that runs sweatshops in China. So, well you say you're woke, but the companies you work for, I mean, unbelievable. Apple, Amazon, Disney. If ISIS started a streaming service, you'd call your agent, wouldn't you? So, if you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a, a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So, if you win, right, come up, accept your little award, thank your agent and your god, and... So... It's already three hours long. Right, let's do the first award. The first. All right. So that was awesome. And here's the references that I want to just um, bring up. The first thing I want to say visually, aside from what you heard, is sewage explosion on the red carpet. <laughs> How fitting. Because sewage is with filth. And filth was walking down that red carpet. And in that room, as they passed the sewage, they had to deal with Ricky Gervais that so confidently said it was his last time hosting the Globes. Could it be the last time we see the Globes? And here he called them all to that sewage riddled carpet. And he is one that does that. He told them how they're all pedophiles. How Ronan Farrow is going to be coming for you. Right? I, you know, just a coincidence today, Harvey Weinstein trial is on and he turned up with a walker, you know, oh, what was me? He also made references to Prince Andrew. Oh, and of course, Epstein. And today, out of all days, right after the Golden Globe, suddenly the media releases blood-filled rags, a picture of a neck being cracked. But, you know, no body in the room, no actual face, just a neck and some bones. You know, the Daily Mail in the UK released that. So we had all those references, even how they sell, they would sell their souls to ISIS if they had their own streaming service, telling the world exactly who they are. He didn't hold back at all. And that was perfect because, you know, the best comedy, that's one thing. When I had uh, gone to see him, I was like, yo, you know, that Bible skit was like, right? Super intense. And he was like, you know, but it's true. People need to understand, you know, that if you take it from a comic perspective, you can just see how much the bigger plan is. And for me, that struck me, even though it was something that was like, whoa, I can't believe he said that. I mean, when I heard him say, lock the doors, I was just like, what? Um, this is incredible. Um, he went on to say, you know, he was deconstructing Genesis in the Bible. And, you know, it's been removed from YouTube, um, but I do have a link and I'll share it with you during the break uh, via some other site. Um, it's actually really funny, but it also shows just how 
you can't. He says at one point, you know, God just did this. And, you know, your mind is little. You're not God. So, hmm. And, you know, he kind of criticized why would you put the snake in the garden? Maybe the tree was a bad idea. Like he totally deconstructed it, made it funny. But in the end, even though me, who found it pretty blasphemous to say, through that humor and through that candid honesty of, you know, trying to attack it, you just see just how great God is and that you just can't understand these things. Um, so if we have time, maybe I'll play a few minutes of it because I really enjoyed uh, that show, even though it was, you know, like I said, a bit blasphemous. So what did we see? We saw that today out of all days, huge day, right? We've got Harvey Weinstein. We got Epstein news breaking. We had a lot of liberals going crazy, right? They were going berserk. Uh, their faces said it all. Hanks, Kidman, you name it. Their faces were just like, whoa, did he just say Robert De Niro looked like he wanted to get up and fight him. It was an incredible thing to see. And Tim Cook looked upset too. I mean, he was right. You're so woke. You come up here and you educate us. Then we had a pregnant Michelle Williams go up there pregnant saying, I'm here because I aborted my baby. And it's like, oh my gosh, you have a baby inside you right now. And you're telling people, even though I'm pregnant now, it's good now and not before. So I got rid of that one. I'm just going to have this one. And you have that choice because you're like a God. You can choose when to give life and when to take it away. You give it and take it, right? That's what they say. So that is, that was pretty, pretty hardcore. And what was also hardcore was watching them squirm. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Now, on that, um, there's a lot of developments going on around that. And I think, uh, you know, throughout this week, as more comes out with unsealing Epstein, uh, you know, we're going to be getting a lot more coming into uh, the forefront on these things. I hope you guys enjoyed that clip because it was it was very interesting. You know, being exposed, being told, oh, too bad you can't get on Epstein's jet and stuff. You know, that was really, really good. Um, the way he just, you know, talking about pedophilia so openly. You know, sacrificing human beings is also a big thing. This is like an open secret. They know it's true. And all they could do is sit there and they were, what, giggling, making faces and, oh, really uncomfortable. Meryl Streep didn't like it, you know. We can't have the public believe that this is true, even though he just linked us to all the pedophiles, Epstein as well, Weinstein as well, Prince Andrew as well, and called us out and then told us what hypocrites we are. And we should just shut up because think about it. He's right. None of them went past any education uh, more than Greta Thun. Most of them are dumb, dense. They think what? They're only props. They're plants. They're, they're, they're puppets. Uh, they get paid, you do this. The, the, you, we tell you, you speak, you look, you act. Puppets. No different from some citizens within the United States that have been so brainwashed that they're pretty much on the same footing and same level, right? That's how it is, and that's that's a fact. Now, I was thinking that maybe uh, we could start with um, Iran, but take it back a couple years before that. Um, 
But before I say that, remember how I made a reference months ago about the movie Wag the Dog? See how the media now is saying Wag the Dog? If it was a Wag the Dog moment, you wouldn't be up in arms. And if it was a wag the dog moment, you wouldn't be saying, well, why didn't we know that this was happening? Yeah. Like you tell your enemies what you're going to do. President Trump said that himself. He said, if I'm going to do something, I'm not telling them I'm doing it. But here is how it started. Now, I had broken that story about Peter Strzok's father installing the IRGC. I've reinforced to my listeners and through my writing that Iran is split between two governments, the IRGC controlled government, which are the deep state, the above all government, and then the Iranians, right? There's a, there's a separate line, okay? The people and their president and then the IRGC, okay? And the IRGC is just one of, um, gosh darn it. I hate when commercials just creep up. I'll see you all in just a bit. All right, welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show that we were so rudely cut off by commercials, but whatever. Um, I, where were we going to start on this Iran thing? I want to take you back again, let me repeat, to Strzok. I exposed how he was raised in Iran, how his dad was responsible, along with other from the clown agencies, installing the IRGC and putting them in place. Now, this was done as I've uh, in previous shows, and you can um, uh, find them on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. You know, when you find where my live shows are uploaded, whichever means you use for like podcast software, right? Go in there and like type in something like, um, nuclear energy. I don't remember the title. Um, and th for the next two weeks, guys, I'm a little bit all over the place because I'm in the middle of a huge, like, um, geographical transition. Okay. So, um, I want you guys to take a listen to that show where I explain to you and walk through how Iran for over 50 years has been the center of enriching uranium. Those of you that have been listening to me, you know, on a daily basis, understand what I'm referring to as to how that deal was done back in the uh, 80s, 70s and 80s, where they decided that they're going to be providing most of the, uh, the majority of all um, uranium for uh, Iran to first enrich and then pass it over to Moscow. And then from Moscow, it went to France, Argentina, etc. So, you know, Moscow and Tehran are very connected in that industry. So remember, the nuclear industry is a big industry because we paid for those centrifuges, not just the United States, but other nations, because we designated them as you're going to be making the uranium. And what I've said was the reason that they were set up like this is once they place the IRGC, it's a blind spot for money. The majority of the money laundering, yes, we see through banks. We th it's always going through Iran. It's like this blind spot. Blind spot. Kind of like North Korea was the blind spot for China. Mm? You can't see what China's doing as long as it's going through North Korea. And since China was one of the biggest threats, what did our um, president do? 
he handicapped the biggest threat to the United States, which is China. Uh, but, you know, arguably it could just be the people that are sitting in the house is the biggest threat. Okay, let's get that straight. Now, I'm going to take you back in time to before Peter Strzok Jr. manufactured 302s against General Flynn. Before they lied to put him in a box, I want you to listen to what my general had to say. Good afternoon, everyone. Recent Iranian actions involving a provocative ballistic missile launch and an attack against a Saudi naval vessel conducted by Iran-supported Houthi militants underscore what should have been clear to the international community all along about Iran's destabilizing behavior across the entire Middle East. The recent ballistic missile launch is also in defiance of UN Security Council Resolution 2231, which calls upon Iran not to undertake any activity related to ballistic missiles designed to be capable of delivering nuclear weapons including launches using such ballistic missile technology. These are just the latest of a series of incidents in the past six months in, in which Houthi forces that Iran has trained and armed have struck Emirati and Saudi vessels and threatened United States and allied vessels transiting the Red Sea. In these and other similar activities, Iran continues to threaten U.S. friends and allies in the region. The Obama administration failed to respond adequately to Tehran's malign actions including weapons transfers, support for terrorism, and other violations of international norms. The Trump administration condemns such actions by Iran that undermine security, prosperity, and stability throughout and beyond the Middle East, and place, which places American lives at risk. President Trump has severely criticized the various agreements reached between Iran and the Obama administration, as well as the United Nations, as being weak and ineffective. Instead of being thankful to the United States in these agreements, Iran is now feeling emboldened. As of today, we are officially putting Iran on notice. Thank you. It was just shortly after that, putting Iran on notice, that, you know, they manufactured 302s. Now, why would they? Oh, money laundering. Wait. And then we get the news coming in. Oh, guess what? The Pentagon was so duped with all these fake shell companies. That's how they would steal our secrets and stuff. No, that's how they would launder tax dollars. This is how it went down. This is what you need to see. So the first thing we did that the president did that was incredible was take out the money laundering, the washing machine center, like a, a laundromat of North Korea for China. So there's no blind spot in seeing what China's doing. You can't get your enemy to yield if you don't take out their side honeypot, right? That's what we did first and said, hey, North Korea, you don't have to be there, little, you know, you don't have to, we'll help you. You need food, you got it. You want trade, you got it. You want good relations with your neighbor, South Korea, you got it. You want to get back on the ball with Japan, you got it. You don't need China. You could be independent and you don't have to be a laundromat for the Chinese. That is what President Trump did. Let's break that down. So now we got Iran. And Iran was put on notice. Wait a minute, he mentioned Houthis. He didn't say anything about Hezbollah, right? But he didn't say anything about Al-Shabaab either or Al-Qaeda either or, 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 or PMU, FMU, whatever you want to call them. He didn't say it. He was just talking about the Houthis, right, at that point. <laughs> and that cost him a lot. 
litigation, manufactured 302s, confessing or accepting something he didn't do just for the sake of please stop under bad advice. And, you know, it's good advice what he got. Like, just say whatever, you know, be like, hey, you know, I can't argue with the 302s, so I have to accept them because a lot of people told me the same thing. When I was in a spot like that and they were like, just accept this and sign this. It's like, uh, no, I'd rather go down in flames than put my signature and accept something that is not true. You know, for me, I didn't have as much to lose. I didn't have a general's career. I didn't have a pension like that to, to worry about, uh, you know, so for me, it was like, nope, I'd rather die. Thanks. Um, for him, he did what's best for his family or you know, whatever he had as advice. I mean, you know, his obviously, I can't compare him with me for, for real. He's under a lot bigger box. For me, it was like a tinker toy for him. It's like, you know, Fort Knox around him. That's how they closed him up. But for what? Threatening to take out the largest laundromat on the planet for many, many nations, including Venezuela. Oh, yeah, that's where we see the gold coming in through Africa, going through there. All African nations launder from there. The European Union launders from there. Russia launders from there. And the United States would launder from there. And now we find out it's done by 52 shell companies that the Pentagon was like duped. Oh, 52. Wait a minute. President Trump said he had 52 targets, too. Huh? Wait a minute. What? Oh, wait. Could those two? I don't know. See what I'm trying to say? Talking, talking, talking. Uh, so I'm going to pause right there. So let's go back in time to that time where we were talking with North Korea. Do you remember the exchanges between President Trump tweeting things and then Kim Jong-un tweeting things like, yeah, you know what? I'm in a Yo mama and President Trump was like, hey, my button's bigger than yours. And it's like, yo, you better. And yeah, we will come with the biggest. Uh, we will attack. Blah, 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 blah. You know, they were just smack talking. Right. And then suddenly it's like, whoa, hey, peace treaty. What's up? Smiles, hugs, whatever. And you're just like, wait a minute. What just happened here? And they were smack talking. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, nuclear war. And everything went away. Diffuse situation. Oh, what happened there? That's. The art of the deal, you guys, especially when the enemies are the ones that are surrounding you. Now, think of it this way. What did I say about the two, about the 52, um, the 52 shell companies and President Trump saying, we have 52 targets? Mm. Well, Hassan Rouhani, which is non-IRGC, okay? non-IRGC, has been having the same exchanges with President Trump like President Trump had with Kim Jong-un. History repeats itself, you guys. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that the situation is not what they're telling you. It's just fine. And his latest tweet, just as I'm on air, is those who refer to the number 52 should also remember the number 290. Uh, hashtag IR655. Never threaten the Iranian nation. Ooh, there's some more steganography right there. You go. You go, Hassan. You go. You tell them. And while all these crazy Pakistanis and jihadis are just like, oh, 
We Pakistanis are with Iran. Yeah, Hassan Rouhani is on fire. We're with you, entire Pakistani nation. You know, the other radicalized Muslims that are currently at war in that area. You know, the same nation that suddenly had missiles and they were shooting them between themselves in India like decades ago. And people were like, wait a minute, when did they get their hands on that? Yeah, those. So it's 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 pretty incredible. People tweeting out things like their troops will return home in coffins. You need to see it. But, you know, you need to see the jihadis, how they're responding to it. You need to see it. Because what they don't get is that this is all an illusion. This is all how it comes down. Mm, the number 290. We'll talk about that tomorrow because I'm going to let the president take note on that one. It's not my business to put it out. But since he did say, uh, you know, um, the 52, I'm like, you know, maybe I should tell my listeners what the 52 really means. Because if you actually look into it, the 52 shell companies were the ones that totally, totally duped and i'm using air quotes you can't see it picture it duped the pentagon duped my tushy were duped 10 million dollars per each contractor billions of dollars of u.s federal funds going to fake companies that were not american non-american non-american shell under shell under shell that end up in a rock laundromat hey Who's got the coins, right? So that's how it rolls, just so you know. So we'll talk about the 290. Now, that's interesting, right? We're having a lot of movement here. So now we've got all this stuff surfacing, kind of like the sewage on the red carpet, just floating up, you know? Very fitting. Very fitting. All of this is coming to light. Today's a busy, busy day. Seems like the media, the mainstream media, is a little bit stuck. What do we do? What do we do? What do we talk about? We can't talk about Harvey Weinstein. Well, we have to say something. We can't talk about, you know, uh, we can't talk about Jeffrey Epstein because he was actually murdered. And oh my gosh, Ricky Gervais said it. So everyone's talking about that. So we can't talk about Prince Andrew. We can't talk about Epstein. We can't talk about Weinstein. We can't talk about pedophiles. We can't really talk about anything except for make stuff up about Iran. You know, we can't talk about how Turkey is sending troops to Libya right now. We can't talk about the deal that Israel and Greece just signed four days ago while, you know, their supreme leader was being taken out. We can't talk about how Greece's prime minister is now in Florida and going to be meeting, talking about that deal they signed with Israel. We can't talk about how Iran sat there and said death to America and death to Israel. And they said, we will attack Israel if the U.S. decides to push. Oh, dear. It's a hot mess. It really sucks to be the mainstream media right now because everything is coming to the surface. All of it. And let's remember this clip. The trial? Would you testify in the trial? I would testify. I would um, do demonstrations. I'd give lectures. I'd give summations. Or I'd do what I do best. I'd try the case. I'd love to try the case. Would you, you be going back to Ukraine? Are you going to? Are you telling us? You well, I don't know case? if anybody would have the courage to give me the case. But uh, if you give me the case, I will prosecute it as a racketeering case, which I kind of invented anyway. So it's been 30 years ago, but let's see if I can still do it. Thank you. Happy New Year.
Now, remember that? You know how he got rid of the mob? This is a bigger mob. So we get the inventor of taking down the mob to be the president's attorney. Pay attention. Oh, and not only that. Thanks for sending me that DM, Chris. Avenatti, basta, basta. Case is moving forward. Looks like all of them are having a really bad Monday. And in the meantime, we have people saying, Bolton's going to testify. Yeah, go ahead. I've told you I don't like Bolton, right? I don't like him because he scares me. And not a lot of people can scare me, but he does. Because he is black and white and bottom line. But I'm not worried about him testifying. I'm totally not worried about him testifying. If he were to testify, if it were to go. Because now, from seven corrupt GOP persons, we have 15. Ah! Because they get caught up in these... um you know, laundromats. Because the more it's coming out, these shell companies, like these funds that they have, turns out a lot of these Republican senators have their fingers in the pie. And they're concerned because instead of coming forward like they had the opportunity, uh, they kind of sat in the dark and said, well, no one's caught up to me, so I'm just going to stay here and be super quiet. That's not how it works. You're given the opportunity and that's it. Now, our president this morning uh, tweeted out a video that he decided, remember, listening to our president always because he tells you what we need to know. Take a listen to what he just tweeted out about 45 minutes ago. You look and you read our Constitution and many other things. We, I have an obligation to look at corruption. I have an actual obligation and a duty. I don't care about politics. I don't care about Biden's politics. I never thought Biden was going to win, to be honest. I was investigated and they think it could have been by UK. They think it could have been by Australia. They think it could have been by Italy. So when you get down to it, I was investigated by the Obama administration. Let's go over this again. America has treaties with Ukraine and China. Treaties about crime and corruption. It allows both governments to help with investigations and share information. Biden isn't above the law because he's running for president. And his family isn't above the law when he's overseas. Now, you're saying that if Hillary decides to run again in 2020, Barr would have to drop the investigation into her fake foreign dossier because she became Trump's political opponent all of a sudden? That's ridiculous. Then everybody who committed crimes could just announce a presidential run to get immunity. The Obama crowd asked at least four allies to make up dirt on Trump. He was investigated, set up, and spied on. There was no evidence of corruption. Remember the Mueller report? No collusion. But there's Biden family corruption in plain sight. Video records and bank records. Trump's not planning evidence like the Democrats did to him. He's not using secret wiretaps, foreign spies, and crooked FBI agents. Trump's saying it all out in the open. Let's look into this. Now, it might be shocking that Trump's calling attention to it in this way. We're just not used to it. But this is why he was elected, to drain the swamp, restore justice, punch back twice as hard, and make the system work for people, not just the powerful. Trump's challenging the whole system, where politicians and their family members cut sweetheart deals with foreign nations. It's kind of like a bribe. And then those nations get to turn around and rip away jobs from working Americans. All these ex-senators and congressmen 
and their family members and wealthy insiders, they're vested in an unfair system that Donald Trump was elected to change. This is just a cathartic exercise for Democrats. We all know it's just about rage and power. Are you concerned that impeachment talk may actually help the president's re-election? I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get re-elected. Get it out of your system and then maybe we could regroup later. Because that's what Americans want. Polls show a huge majority, 66% of us, want Democrats to work with Donald Trump to solve the nation's problems rather than impeachment. They don't care, though. They've totally lost it. How did impeachment work out in the 90s? Congress had felonies on Clinton. Impeachment failed in the Senate, and Bill's numbers went through the roof. Now, let's look at the facts. What's the crime? Democrats can't explain it. Trump's the President of the United States. He runs the country. He has every right to know what's going on, everywhere in the world. It's his responsibility. If there's misconduct by a high-ranking American, Joe Biden, his son, or anyone in a foreign country, he needs to know what happened. Biden and his son aren't above the law. They can do shady things overseas and Donald Trump can't find out about it because he might run against them. Give me a break. This latest poll has Trump beating every single Democrat head-to-head doing even better in the swing states. Just to give you a sense of how impeachment played in the swing states, take Pennsylvania. During the height of the hearings this fall, here's what people in the swing state PA were searching for on Google. See the yellow and the green spikes there? Those are Steelers and the Eagles. At the bottom, you see, you can barely see it. That's red. That's impeachment. You don't care about political football. You care about the real thing. What are they going to do now? They're going to run out another dossier, another Access Hollywood tape, another whistleblower. They don't have any card left to play. Only Biden can save them now. Would you want your fate in Sleepy Joe's hands? The Democrats have done nothing except lie, cheat, and impeach. But look at what the president's accomplished. Well, they've waged war on him. Well, let's just leave it right there. Do you really want sniff hair sniffing uh, Biden to run the uh, run the show? Is that where they're going to be putting their money? They can't. So I'm, I, you know, he's right. Democrats don't want impeachment because there was an epic troll that Millie Weaver did that I think all of you should just listen to. It's just one epic troll where suddenly these in crazed people figure out that, whoa, impeaching President Trump means that we get Mike Pence. And so she kind of did a she did an awesome job going up to them. Take a listen to this. Okay. Hold on. Let's see. Yes! Wait, there we go. She's like impeach Trump. Should we impeach Trump? Impeach Trump. Impeach both of them. 
Oh, why not? There's Yay! a million reasons to impeach him. Yeah, impeach him. Woo, Mike Pence for president. Mike Pence, yeah. No, we don't want Pence. We got to get somebody well, else in. But that's what happens. I know, we're going to get stuck with that. Yeah, so. So I don't know what's worse. So should we impeach him then? <laughs> well, I mean, unless we get, if we can get somebody else in there, but don't know. Pence is going to be worse than Trump. Yeah. Like, should we impeach him then? I guess if we're just going to get Mike Pence? Well, let him ride out his term and let's see what happens. Yeah. Maybe just vote, right? Yeah. But Who knows? Should we impeach Trump? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. probably a good idea. Woo! Yeah! Impeach Trump! Yeah! Mike Pence for president! Mike Pence! Mike Pence? Yeah. That's what happens. If we impeach Trump, we get yeah. Mike Pence. That's... That's yeah, arguably that's worse yeah. because that's Trump's like, stupid yeah. and Pence knows what he's doing. So do you think maybe we shouldn't impeach Trump then? Because we do get Mike Pence if we impeach him. Is there any other way? Or It's called voting next well, election. Yeah. Voting next month. Yeah. but Voting next election. Yeah. That's like the only way. Otherwise, otherwise we just get Mike Pence. Yeah. That's I didn't vote for him. F who? I said, F him. I didn't vote for him. So do you guys still think we should impeach Trump? I think that he needs a babysitter for the next year and a half. Just let the term run out. Yeah, I don't know what how everything's going to get f***ed up in the next year or so. Did you hear that? That's that's the Democrats themselves, the insane ones that thought that we were having elections like in 2019 and don't understand how the process works. That was incredible, right, to hear. They're insane. They then realize Mike Pence is coming on and he comes off as this super conservative, super, you know, uh, against gays and all this stuff. So they're like, wait a minute. No, we'd prefer Trump and let just let the term go. But the Democrats are so far in the hole they can't. They're going to pull out war crimes and we're going to stop him. He's not allowed to take out our laundromat. We're going to fix it. Well, in the next hour, I'm going to show you while we're busy here right? Doing all this, you're going to see why the Democrats are really freaking out. It's not because, well, it is because, but not really. I'm going to give you the four, just the skinny really quick. Here's what happened while everyone was sleeping, right? Iran met with Moscow. So we had Zarif meeting with Putin. We had Greece and Israel sign an agreement. We had bombings in Somalia. In Kenya, it's all coming together. Now, Turkey just deployed to Libya and the EU is freaking out. All of that in the next hour. So you can see a behind the scenes, pulling the curtain behind so you can see the Wizard of Oz. I'll see you all in a bit. Real news. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. So in the first hour, we talked about current events. We talked about what's going on. We talked about a little bit of the response and why. And it's all about money, 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 money. And we've been seeing news that they're allowing us to see. 
But here's the background stuff. And when you put it together, you're like, whoa, that's a lot of stuff happening right there. So where do we start? I mean, we could start with um, explaining how um, things are happening and what's going on. We should talk about Instex. Uh, I want you guys to understand Instex a little bit more. There was a lecture that some gentleman put together where it analyzes Belgium, Denmark, Netherlands, Norway, Finland, Sweden, how they're joining Instex to trade with Iran and the six EU nations. So this is pretty good. Um, the person on YouTube has a channel called Canpa Education, and he refers to uh, articles and videos that are happening. But he explained how these nations, and this is from December this year, he put it together. And this is because there was a joint declared statement made by France, Germany, the United Kingdom, Denmark, Finland, and the Netherlands, Norway, and Sweden joining Instact as shareholders. And this is what was said in a joint statement. So, I'll just, uh, I'll just, I'll just walk you through this. So, on January 31st, 2019, France, Germany, and Britain got together and um, put together this nuclear deal, right? This is how it happened. So Belgium, Denmark, and the Netherlands, Norway are actually NATO members, right? As well. So this is important to understand. Now, they were, they issued, Belgium, Denmark, Finland, the Netherlands, Norway, and Sweden issued a joint statement on uh, Friday, the 29th of November, that they're going to be members of this agreement. Now, if you remember, in November, Trump said, the United States is literally getting raped by NATO and is pushing to exit Right. He was threatening to pull out of NATO. If you remember just a couple months ago, he said that. Right. That was all over the news. So if the dollar, the fiat currency was the basis for, you know, trade um, for the U.S., it was a benefit. Right. This fiat currency because they were in charge because it's dollar versus euro now. So what are they going to use? It's dollar uses Chinese yuan. Right. We have the UN, we have the wands, we have so many currencies that are challenging uh, the commodities market, trades markets. So what is happening here? Once those nations at the end of November decided, it was announced that the addition of six new members further strengthens Instex and demonstrates a European effort to facilitate legitimate trade between Europe and Iran. They clearly stated it. They said, we are literally creating this system so that we can exchange with Iran. Now, they said... The, that the new insect holders urged Iran to return without delay to full compliance and, um, and on the terms and provisions of the nuclear agreement. And that the commission is implementing the nuclear deal meeting uh, in Vienna that's going to be upcoming, which happened in December. Now, now. <laughs> so can you see what's going on? We have all these nations that now realize the U.S. is no longer part of our group. 
they're no longer cool like us. They no longer want to take over the world. They no longer want slaves. They no longer want socialism. So we're going to take it and we're going to run with it because we're many. They are few. That's wrong because the biggest powers, the United States, China, and Russia are not. But here's where the curveball comes in. And we talked about this a couple months ago when it happened. How Russia was like, yeah, we want to join in. Sure. And it's like, yeah, no, they don't play with you because they know that they can't play with you. But you're willing to take them on face value because um, you need Russia. And Russia is really good at playing games. Remember, Putin was in charge of foreign exchange. Remember, Deutsche Bank. I'm just saying. Take a listen. If it wants to play and it doesn't, there we go. Not difficult. We are imposing all sanctions that were previously lifted under the nuclear deal. This includes sanctions on energy banking, shipping, and shipbuilding industries. But now another country wants to skirt U.S. sanctions and trade with Iran, Russia. The problem is there's currently only one workaround to trade with Iran without U.S. penalties. It's called Instex, and so far it's only available to EU countries. A Russian foreign ministry. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So we're sanctioning Iran and EU countries are skirting around our sanctions and trading with Iran anyway. But there are allies, right? I just want to be clear. Tree spokesperson told Britain's Financial Times the full potential of Instex will only be able to be deployed if it will be open to the participation of countries which are not members of the European Union. Instex allows members to trade certain consumer goods with Iran, but it excludes oil, meaning Iran's biggest export is still under the full force of U.S. sanctions. Wait, except they do buy Iranian oil because they buy it from Turkey and Turkey's not complying with U.S. sanctions because Turkey's pipelines are pretty much filled up with Iranian oil. Instex also doesn't have a lot of support. Only 10 of 28 EU countries are part of it. But Russia, throwing its weight behind the initiative, could help Instex and Iran's economy stay afloat. The system was meant to soften the blow of sanctions on Iran, as well as keep it from abandoning the 2015 nuclear deal after the U.S. pulled out of the agreement last year. Will Russia be brought into the mix? Officials told the Financial Times they're open to the idea. Yeah, they're open to KGB games. Putin is incredibly smart and he's got them right there. So they created this to have legitimate trade back backstabbing the U.S. on what they're saying. Like we are literally being toyed with. So the Society of Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications, SWIFT, gives a network where we can have financial institutions send and receive money. Right. So if someone wires me money from, you know, another country, it comes in through that system and it's locked in and there's record of it where it's going and where it's not. And so, you know, that's how, you know, you get wire transfers right um, through SWIFT codes overseas. And here we have bank and routing numbers. It's kind of like a international routing number. So your SWIFT code is your bank's code and then your account number. So your bank gets it and then it goes into your account number. So it's like an international routing number, kind of, you know, not really, but kind of. So this is how they monitor. This is why we sanctioned so many banks. If you remember the minute President Trump took office, how many of them paid 
multi billions, billions of dollars back in the coffers because they were funding Iran behind our back or they were doing it and obfuscating it. But now they don't have to. They could just do it because they're skirting around the whole system. So they don't have to. So think about it. Who's really our ally? Because when I hear people saying, well, France is our ally. Yeah. Frenemy, whatever. No, they are the worst kind of allies you want. I would trust Russia and even China, which would be really bad, uh, or Congo before I trust France or Germany with anything that has to do with U.S. policy because they are not our friends. Everything they're doing is not friendly. Now, speaking of Russia, here's something you probably didn't know, which is that um, uh, President um, uh, Putin and um, Zarif they actually met in Moscow just a few days ago. <laughs> and they discussed the latest developments on the Iran nuclear deal. And Zarif actually thanked Russia for supporting the Iran nuclear deal, even though the U.S. pulled out. And Lavrov even said, and I quote, both countries should discuss measures to maintain the implementation of the nuclear agreement. The agreement, if you remember, was signed by P5 plus one, five parties and one. Who's the plus one? European Union. Who are the five parties? China, France, Germany, Russia, and the United Kingdom and the United States, right? So it's China, France, Germany, Russia, UK, US, along with the EU. EU is the plus one. Mm. So France, Germany, separate and UK from EU, Clues are everywhere. So they met just a few days ago while all this was going down. They met. And here is where it gets a little bit more intricate. We have the attack that happened. But what is happening as that attack is happening? While that attack was being conducted, the civilians in northwestern Syria are hurling rocks Guns, shots everywhere against who? The Turkish military. The Syrians, not the, not the terrorists, the Syrians, the people of Syria hurling things at Turkish military. In Iraq, keep in mind that the prime minister there isn't even um, supposed to be there because he like resigned like over a month ago. So he's like quasi official. So you resigned because of protests, but now you're in charge and you're calling shots. So many shots that your parliament has decided to expel the United States from Iraq. How is that even possible? How do you expel your bank? We're the ones funding them. We're the ones feeding them. And we're the ones supporting the people of Iraq, not the IRGC slash shadow government slash what's really going on and who really governs the Middle East. So how does that work, you guys? How does it work that we pay them and they decide that they're going to expel us? Take a listen. Well, it's great to see you. Um, when we were putting the show together, I said to my team, I want not, not just some random member of Congress, but someone who really knows what they're talking about. And here you are. So um, what I want to do is just put to you, as someone who's really supported very strongly what the president's, uh, the actions of the president in the last couple of days, some of the arguments that have been made against it, and I'd love to get your response. First of all, 
a lot of people have just been saying, look, America, as leader of the free world, can't just go around killing people in other countries in this manner. That's a terrible example to set. What's your response to that? I would say that this Qasem Soleimani was the head of a designated terrorist organization. He had the blood of over 600 of my brothers and sisters in uniform on his hands. And the world is now a safer place because of the president's courageous call to take him and Abdul Mahdi al-Mahandis off the battlefield. I would further say that for those in the media who seem to be parroting the Supreme Leader's talking points by blaming the Trump administration for needless escalation, they are ignoring, willfully ignoring, the past year's worth of history whereby Iran has systematically escalated and the Trump administration's response has indeed been very measured. Throughout it all, the president and his advisors said, do not kill Americans, do not kill Americans. Soleimani and the Iranians and the Iranian proxies in Iraq disregarded that red line and this president, unlike his predecessor, reinforced that red line. So can we all not unite the country around the simple mm -hmm. idea that if you kill Americans, we will kill you? I think very clearly put, um, completely agree there. Let's go to the next argument and you, you're seeing this really taken to absurd proportions now by a lot of people, which is that what the president's done has put us on the brink of war. He's, he's taking us into a new Middle East war. My view, as I've just expressed, is that that doesn't need to follow at all. But with your experience in these issues, could you just explain why this doesn't have to lead to war? Well, my experience is that every time we show credible resolve, every time we demonstrate American strength and willpower, the Iranians back down. And that's not just recent history. That goes back to Ronald Reagan getting elected in 1980 and then releasing the hostages. That goes back to 2003 when they suspended their nuclear program. The list goes on and on. I think to believe that argument, you also have to ignore what's going on throughout the region right now. Both within Iraq, we've seen consistently since October, protesters risking their lives in Tahrir Square mm. to protest Iran's influence in the country. The media isn't telling you about the people that are celebrating the death of Soleimani right now, nor about the protests that are happening in Lebanon or within Iran itself. All of this suggests... Wait a minute. What? Lebanon? Celebrating the death of Soleimani? Wait. Oh, so was he a bigger leader? Wait, I thought he was in Iran. Wait, Iraq. What was it? He was everywhere, you guys. If you picture a pyramid, and then you've got the Ayatollah, you've got the presidents of each of these nations, and then take it a step level up. That's where you have Haji Qasem. Ah, he's above all. Above all. The stone he wore in his ring that people were like, oh, that was a fake. That's not his. Yeah, because in the picture, he's going to have the real one. The same type of stone the Pope wears, the same one that the Prophet Muhammad wore. Maybe he's on the dark side of the moon. Maybe it's not that far. You know, we need to be paying attention to these little details. Lebanon, why are they celebrating? In, why did they celebrate in Syria? Why were they celebrating in Syria, Libya, Lebanon, Beirut? They were out on the streets, Oman, Yemen. They were all celebrating his death. But no, the outrage came from what did, um, how did Ricky Gervais put it? The non-diverse group, you know, all the white people, as he claimed it. Not diverse enough to show, you know, because in, on the other hand, the people celebrating, indeed not diverse. There was probably not a lot of Caucasians celebrating, but a lot of Middle Easterners thanking their God for being relieved of that pressure. Leaders across the Middle East saying, oh my gosh, 
we're really going to have to govern now. What do we do? It's a simple and obvious thing. Iran is in an increasingly weak position, and we have ignored their militia building for the last 10 years. But now for the first time in a decade, we are not ignoring it. Now, will this work out? I don't know. We have to have the Iraqis choose themselves to expel Iranian influence from their country. But if they do, we should be prepared to work with them because, after all, that is our most important national security interest in the Middle East. It is resisting Iran's domination of the region. And by restoring our credible deterrent, which I believe the president has gone a long way towards doing, this gives us the best opportunity of the long term to reduce our force presence in the Middle East and focus on other areas of the world, particularly Asia, that are far more important for our national security. Really interesting. Last quick question. We don't have a huge amount of time, but I just wanted to address the ISIS point, which I touched on earlier, which is a lot of people been saying, well, actually, Iran, because they oppose ISIS, was helpful in our fight against ISIS. Okay, so let's talk about ISIS right quick. Let me just break it down. We've talked about this before. ISIS are the rando, uh, you know, mercenaries, the ones that don't belong to the Houthis anymore, the Hezbollah, the Al-Qaeda, the Al-Shabaabs, all these stupid little spinoffs, all answering to Haji Qasem. They're the ones that went off on a tangent and said, nah, man, you're working for global order. That's not jihad. We're doing real jihad. That's what they were fighting. They were fighting the people that were really fanatized, right? They were insanely fanatized saying, wait a minute. No, we're doing real jihad. Like they really took the jihad to their heart saying even that's why they killed their own brothers and sisters because the war that was waged with these terrorist groups was not for jihad. That was the excuse. It was to help level the playing field and have these sections on the planet. So it's like the Caucasian section, the Middle Eastern section, the African section, and then let China deal with the Far East. Russia would have been like a a concerted effort with Africa, Europe, North America, South America, and the Middle East coming at them to defuse them. That is why Russia is the most vulnerable nation on the planet right now. So Russia is going to be the sneakiest one. And the fact that they have super KGB Putin there, they're really lucky because they are the most vulnerable. You would think we are totally not because we've got enough of an army and enough leverage. And the fact that with the Chinese, you know, President Trump is making it clear, yo, I know you think you're smarter than all these nefarious satanic people, but they will take you out the minute you have the opportunity. Now, either we see eye to eye and we find some balance to allow people to prosper. And if you think it's inevitable that socialism and communism is going to come global, well, then you do you China. But for now, I don't want to go there. And I'm okay with, you know, going at it with you. No problem. Because in the end, you're going to have to team up with these guys and they're going to be the first ones that are going to come in and stab you in the back. And while they're stabbing you with one knife, 20 more will come out of nowhere because that is how satanic nefarious people like them work. That's exactly it. Because now we took out one of their biggest leaders. We haven't taken the African one out. There's an African leader that's going to be coming to the forefront in 2021 right after the election. Wait till you see how that goes. Remember, change makers. Remember these investments in the dark continent. You know, the crowns right now are shaking. And they should. Very well should. And they should try to use whatever leverage they have against Russia because it is inevitable. Russia 
may be indeed hostile in your eyes, but they are the most vulnerable. They're not aligned with the Chinese. They're not aligned with the global cabal, and they're not aligned with the Trump administration. Global cabal includes South America. I mean, come on, guys. In the past two years, we've seen how many presidents be elected, how many regimes be overturned in South America and Central America. That's what's going on behind the scenes. We're fixing it because you can't go at it alone, no matter how big we are, because remember, they have the numbers. They have the numbers. It's we are many, they are few. But the thing is, they're so, um, I would like to say, dependent on other nations that they literally have nothing. There was this one standup, that standup that I was talking about, Ricky Gervais, who said, you know, oh, you know, it's like the Swiss are neutral. And it's like, who wants the Swiss on their side? They have these little knives and it's like, oh, you got your nail clippers out, whatever. This is a thing. They don't have a military, but they do have nukes. They have a lot of nukes and the crown pounded out those nukes up north. So good that we have the Trump facility up north, uh, UK, Scotlandish, because then we have eyes everywhere. So that's the thing. As it comes in like this, it's really like this. Are you starting to see the bigger picture? Be proud because this has been one of the most epic global military strategies ever. And the prize is peace. Peace is the ultimate prize. And how do you see it working in the background? So you saw Russia meeting with them. You saw all of this happening. You see that, uh, you know, Iran is, um, you know, becoming more aggressive, but it's not Iran. It's the global cabal. Listen to what Netanyahu had to say about what happened in Iran. And remember, Netanyahu is being prosecuted like nobody's business, and Iran's threat was directly to him. Qasem Soleimani revealed the death of many American citizens, and many of the citizens of Iran, in the last few years, and also in these days, Soleimani has been able to so what he's saying is he's expressing gratitude to the president of the United States um, who approved the airstrike that killed top commander Qasem Soleimani. He also said President Trump is worthy of all appreciation for acting decisively with strength and swiftly. And I want to emphasize again that Israel stands completely by the United States in its battle for security, peace and self-defense. He also said that Soleimani caused the death of many American citizens and many other uh, innocent people over the past few decades. And remember, he was killed along with his deputy in an airstrike. So, and that's pretty interesting, right? It didn't happen on his territory. It happened on something. And you know what? Seems like someone turned him over. And you know who I think it is? Assad. Because Assad was his little puppet until he re-upped the mutual defense agreement uh, with Russia. And Russia beefed up their base in Syria. And Russia and Syria are now one in the same. So in the next half hour, you're going to see who the real player is here. Yes, we took out Qasem. Haji Qasem was taken out. But the real predator, the real World War III, is showing. We've spread them thin. Al-Shabaab bombings, Houthi bombings. Oh, remember General Flynn said IRGC was in charge of the Houthis? Yeah, Houthis, Hezbollah, all of them chanting 
chanting death to Israel, death to the United States, and they threaten Israel with annihilation if the U.S. retaliates. Pretty interesting. If we take revenge, then you would attack. Be sure we will utterly annihilate Haifa and the centers of Israel, and there will be no Israel. They're really adamant about Israel. I wonder what that's all about. Cultural centers? No. Shell companies, 52. And the 290 huh, that Rouhani just tweeted out about, I'm going to let the president analyze that for us. I'm not going to tell you because I'd love the mainstream media to get it wrong first. For those of them that listen to all of, uh, all of us conservatives talking and want to spin it. So let them scathe. The president will come out with that. Huh. Rouhani's steganography was Perfect today. Again, remember, the same type of banter happened between Kim Jong-un and the president before he eradicated the laundromat of China to have some leverage. Now it's going super down. Now is when the gloves come off on all levels. And now, just like the sewer that spewed on the red carpet, everything is coming to the surface. Remember, back November 2018, I said, poop always floats. Here we are. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So let's um, take a look. Uh, obviously, we talked about Israel and how they want to attack Israel. But I want us to listen to Secretary Pompeo, who spoke and talked about how Iran became more aggressive during the Trump administration. This is very important because then everything makes sense from the instex. So you understand that it's not Iran. Iran is the name, the title. It's kind of like the bucket, you know, the umbrella that they, oh, it's Iran. No, it's those nations that created the alternate pathways. It's the people sitting in the house. Those, I mean, you would never even imagine. You would never imagine that sitting congresspersons and senators of the United States of America would condemn an attack on taking out a man that has been responsible for the deaths of millions throughout his lifetime. Mm, interesting. Hey, Welcome back to Fox News Sunday, sir. Chris, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on this morning. You know that the Iraqi parliament is holding an emergency session today to discuss the question as to whether U.S. troops, the 5,000 troops we have there, should remain in country. It has just come across the wires. The Iraqi prime minister says it is in the interest of both Iraq and the U.S. to end foreign troop presence in Iraq. And he also says that the killing of General Soleimani and also a top uh, uh, militia leader who was backed by Iran, Mohandas, were political assassinations. Your reaction, sir? Well, Chris, the American people should know that President Trump will never shy away from protecting and defending America. It's what we've done over these past weeks and days. It's what we've done over our entire three years with our Middle East strategy. Uh, the activity that you're seeing today is fully consistent with that. Uh, and the American people should know we will continue. The president tweeted it again last night. Uh, we will take the actions necessary to keep Americans safe. You know, as for the activity today with respect to Iraq, we've been in their country. We've been supporting Iraqi sovereignty. We've been continuing to take down the terrorist threat against the Iraqi people. Uh, the Prime Minister is 
uh, the resigned prime minister. He's the acting prime minister. He's under enormous threats from the very Iranian leadership that it is that we are pushing back against. Uh, we are confident that the Iraqi people want the United States to continue to be there to fight the counter-terror campaign. And we'll continue to do all the things we need to do to keep America safe. But if Iraq, it is a sovereign country, if they demand that we leave, one, will we leave? And if we do, won't that dramatically hurt the fight against ISIS and stability in the region? So we'll have to take a look at what we do when the uh, Iraqi leadership and government makes a decision. But the American people should know we'll, we'll make the right decision. We'll take actions that, frankly, the previous administration refused to take to do just that. President Trump says that General Soleimani was planning a, quote, imminent attack against Americans. You have said it was a, quote, big action that could potentially kill hundreds of American diplomats and soldiers. What was the plan? Who were the targets? And how soon? Yes, President Trump was right in what he said. So was I. Uh, we'll share all the intelligence that we can. I was the CIA director for a little while, Chris. Uh, there's things we simply cannot make public about what it is we knew at that time and what, in fact, we know today about the continuing activity. Uh, I think General Milley got it right when he said we would have been culpably negligent had we not gone out when we had the opportunity. He was actively engaged in plotting against American interests. Uh, we need to look no further than what he had personally done over the days before that, where an American was killed on December 27th. Uh, there's no surprise. There's plenty of public evidence about the bad behavior of Qasem Soleimani. He was a designated terrorist, and we did the right thing. I just want to press to this degree. The, he had been targeting Americans and other people around the, uh, the region for decades. Uh, the blood of 600 Americans was on his hands for, during the Iraq war. The question is that there are some intelligence agents who are talking to media outlets who are saying, yes, he was doing bad things, but it was another day in the Middle East. And some congressional leaders who have been briefed now say that the intelligence was not of an imminent attack that was bigger, more worrisome. Don't the American people have the right to, to some understanding of what it was, why it was so urgent to take out Soleimani now? It's interesting. I haven't heard any of the congressional leaders who have seen the full set of intelligence make the comments that you just described. I think any reasonable person who saw the intelligence that the senior American leaders uh, had in their possession would have come to the same conclusion that President Trump and our leadership team did about the fact that there would have been more risk to America more risk through inaction than there was through the action that we took. I think, it, I think it's very clear. I think it's very plain. We'll do everything we can to share this information with the American people. But I think the American people understand, too, there's certain things you just can't, you can't put out in public. You've okay. got you to protect Americans who are out collecting the intelligence, the intelligence we will need in the days and weeks ahead to continue to defend and protect them. Iran's leaders are vowing a crushing response, uh, using words like a hard revenge. What do we do? if they strike back, if they retaliate? Is there a plan? Uh, and is there, because of the fact that we went after Soleimani, has there been a change in U.S. response where we're no longer going to go after the enemy in the field, we're not going to go after Iran's command and control? Well, Chris, the American people know that there's a strategy. It's a strategy that has been several years in the making now uh, that we've been working on. It's been a diplomatic strategy. It's been an economic strategy. You're now seeing elements of the military strategy. And with respect to targets, President Trump talked about 52 targets last night. Uh, that's not new in the following sense. We've made clear to the, th the theocrats and kleptocrats that are running Iran today, running it into the ground against the will of their own people, we made clear to them that we would not respond just against these proxy forces that they run in, in Yemen and in Syria and in Iraq and in Lebanon. We made clear that this cost would be brought home to them 
to the leadership regime in Iran, and that we would raise costs. We wouldn't just attack their asymmetric efforts. We would respond in a way that imposed costs on the decision makers who are putting American lives at risk. So you're saying to the Supreme Leader, Ayatollah Khamenei, you're saying to President Rouhani, you're saying to leaders of the Revolutionary Guard, don't think that you're off limits? What I'm saying is exactly what President Trump has said. We will take responses that are appropriate and commensurate with actions that threaten American lives. That's what we've done so far, Chris. There's no reason that the American people or the Iranian regime should ever expect we'll do anything different. You talk about the strategy. Uh, The president has uh, been pushing what he calls the maximum pressure strategy since he took office. He pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal in May of 2018. He imposed tough economic sanctions. And this summer, he suggested that the strategy was working. Take a look. Iran is a much different country than two and a half years ago. When I took over, Iran was all over. They had 14 to 18 different sites of confliction. They were all over. And now they just want to, oh, they want to negotiate a deal so badly. But in 2019 alone, Iran hit six ships, shot down a U.S. drone, launched an attack against Saudi oil facilities, a damaging attack. And for all the talk of isolating Iran, they just conducted joint exercises with China and Russia. So the question is, has the president's maximum pressure strategy made Iran less aggressive or more? Panicked aggression on the part of the Iranian leadership because they know that the Iranian people are demanding enormous change. And they know that the Iranian people are supported by America in that demand for change. Yeah, we built out a huge coalition, Chris. Gulf states, Israel, countries all across the world who are joining us. They're joining us not only in the efforts in the Straits of Hormuz, but in air defense efforts all across the region. The malign actor of Iran has been identified. Remember where we came in, Chris. Remember where we came in. In 2015, the Obama-Biden administration essentially handed power to the Iranian leadership and acted as a quasi-ally of theirs by underwriting them, underwriting the very militias that killed Americans. Those resources, the money that they had to build out those forces throughout the Shia Crescent was provided to them by the nuclear deal. We allowed Europeans to go do business there. We provided them $150 billion, pallets of cash. All of these things are the very challenge that the Trump administration has had to correct. The strategy is working. We're going to stay the course, and we will protect and defend the American people at every step, Chris. Just so you know, I will be asking Senator Van Hollen about that in the next segment. President Trump also says that he is keeping his campaign promise to pull U.S. troops out of the Middle East. Uh, Here's what he had to say in October. The plan is to get out of endless wars, to bring our soldiers back home, to not be policing agents all over the world. It was a quick hit, except they stayed for almost 10 years. Let someone else fight over this long, blood-stained sand. But just this week, this week, the U.S. deployed 100 Marines to the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad, plus 750 to the region, and now another 3,500. Is the president pulling us out of endless wars in the Middle East or with his action this week? Did he take a big step back in? Endless wars are the direct result of weakness. And President Trump will never let that happen. We're going to get it right. We're going to get the force posture right. We're going to get our facilities as hardened as we can possibly get them to defend against what Iran may potentially do. But make no mistake, America's mission is to have our footprint in the Middle East reduced while still keeping America safe, safe from uh, rogue regimes like the Islamic Republic of Iran 
and from terrorist activity broadly throughout the region. So, so is it fair to say that while the big strategy is to pull the U.S. out of endless wars, at least in the short term, that could be more of a commitment? The Obama administration created enormous risk to the American people in Iran. This administration is working to reduce that risk. Finally, uh, some analysts suggest that the impeachment of President Trump has emboldened enemies like Iran and North Korea uh, to think that they can confront him. Do you think that, as misguided as it may be, that some of our enemies think that this president is more vulnerable because of the impeachment effort? You should ask Mr. Soleimani. I understand that, but he was going ahead before you killed him. And the question is, do you think that impeachment is emboldening our enemies? I don't. I think that our adversaries understand that President Trump and our administration will do the right thing to protect American people every place that we find risk. So did you get that one? You should ask Soleimani. Yeah, you should ask the dead guy because he probably thought because of the impeachment that we were weak. Here's the thing. The impeachment is empowering us like you would never believe that's the bottom line. And what we see is all of this coming out to the forefront slowly and easily. Now listen to how CNN tries to terrify the people of the United States today with what they're talking about revenge. Listen. Live pictures of tens of thousands of Iranians on the streets of Tehran. This is after the United States killed Iran's most powerful military and intelligence leader in an airstrike near the airport in Baghdad in Iraq. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who was on with us just moments ago, said the attack was carried out to thwart some kind of an imminent attack by Iran against the United States. Joining us now is CNN's chief international anchor, Christian Amanpour. Christian, the secretary would not go into details, and obviously those details matter here. The American people, particularly after the Iraq war in 2003, do not trust the idea that there was an imminent threat unless we see exactly what it was. He won't tell us what it was. He said that might be coming. What do you see going on here? Well, I think it's going to be very hard to expect the administration to suddenly deliver all this information. I think what was more interesting was what he said to you. And it was quite, in, in my view, somewhat conflicting. It was, was it this just about security? Right. Or was it about trying to uh, have a regime change in Iran, get the Iraqis to throw the Iranians out there and all the rest of it? Was it both? And that also leads to the next question, what is the strategy? And I think that that's the most important question that we have going forward. It is absolutely clear that Ghassem Soleimani, the head of the Hod's force of the Islamic, uh, of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, <coughs> as since this happened, the second, if not the most important person in Iran, who was the major arm of Iran's foreign policy abroad, and who has networks and tentacles and huge influence across that region, Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, Yemen, you name it, Qasem Soleimani's footprint, his handprints are all over that place. He was so well known and in some quarters beloved in that region that they are going to have to take some kind of action. Um, as one expert said to me, maybe draw some blood in response. How? We don't know. We've been watching and listening to those massive live uh, demonstrations and tape demonstrations um, inside Tehran. We have to wait to see what happens around places like Iraq, Lebanon, and, and etc. But what they're already saying, because I'm trying to listen 
listen to the words of the speakers underneath is this was the pride of Islam uh, and we have to avenge his death. And they've used the word jihad and, and other such things. So the question is really, honestly and truthfully, what is the strategy? Mm -hmm. Is this a, going to be an accidental slouch into a war in the Middle East or are all parties, not just the United States, which has said that they want to de-escalate, but all the leaders of the Shiite Islamic factions, which are backed by Iran in that region, not to mention Iran itself, are they going to try to de-escalate this? And yes, are they going to try to de-escalate this or are they going to realize that we're winning? Because, see, it, it seems like Elizabeth Warren's a little bit upset, too, because today. So you called the out, U.S. attack that killed Qasem Soleimani. Listen to her and, you know, Vanderbilt Jake Tapper talk. Ani, a quote, assassination. President Ford issued an executive order in 76 to make political assassinations illegal. Are you saying that this strike was a violation of law? Ha. Huh. See, there you go. That's their new one. Forget impeachment, right? Forget the war crimes. Now we're going to say, well, we said political assassination is against the law. Wait a minute. When did the leader of terror groups become a politician? Think. Look, it was uh, a targeted attack on a government official, a high-ranking military official for the government of Iran. And what it's done has moved this country closer to war. We are not safer today than we were before Donald Trump acted. I think the question that we ought to focus on is why now? Oh, why now? Well, you guys already know why now. It's about the money. It's about their laundromat. But do you see how the journalists are giving bones and how they're talking about this is how we take them out? It's a play. Remember last week I said the word assassination was important, didn't I? Well, here it is because this is going to be their new thing. But we already know that. So now everyone in the United States is going to be like, hold on a second, man. The guy's a terrorist, but now he's a political opponent too. And so he took him out and it's a political assassination, which is against the law. So conveniently uh, put into law in 1976, you know, when we were installing the IRGC and sorting out all the nuke details, you know, with the Iran Contra and how we're going to do all this stuff, right? Totally coincidental, right? This is just how dumb they think people are. But in the meantime, here's what's going on in the background that we're going to hear about tomorrow too. Take a listen to this. 100-mile pipeline connecting Israel with Europe. That's what's on the agenda for Thursday, when Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is set to sign a deal with the Prime Minister of Greece and the President of Cyprus. Wait, I just wanted to say uh, this happened last Thursday, right, during this whole we took him out thing. In the meantime, Israel signed an agreement for an Israeli gas pipeline to go from Israel to Cyprus to greet to Crete, Greece, into mainland Greece that will then go to the rest of Europe. It need me. Wait a minute. But wasn't Turkey the one that has all the pipelines? Wait a minute. Are they circumventing them? Oh, wow. Look what's going on. To export Israeli natural gas. The source is Israel's Leviathan gas field, discovered in 2010 and located some 80 miles off the city of Haifa. Hailing the Leviathan gas field on Tuesday after its... Wait a minute. Did he say Haifa? Oh, what was it that Iran was chanting? What were they chanting today and yesterday? Death to Israel. We will annihilate Haifa. Oh, because it has to do about peace or is it about... It's about money. Haifa, which, by the way, is the place where you will be able to buy Cartier diamonds because the Cartier factory is there. 
like 90%, 95% off. That's where I used to get my gems from. Official opening, Netanyahu declared Israel a regional energy power. But while the Israeli government sees the Leviathan gas field as a huge economic potential, estimated to bring in billions of dollars from export to Jordan, Egypt, and now the EU, some Israeli citizens are less excited. It doesn't make sense that Egypt is going to want their gas. They have so much more gas than we do. And of course, I'm, I'm all for peace. And I would like it to be something that's going to be good, not only for Israel, but for the whole planet. Everyone. Let me tell you what else is in the Leviathan. Aside from fossil fuel, we've got natural uranium. It's going away from fossil fuels. Why do this now? The deal between Israel, Greece and Cyprus is slowly turning into a geopolitical issue. Turkey put a barrier across the proposed pipeline route from Israel to Greece. No wonder they would, right? Because they're the ones that give all the oil that they get from Iran and the Middle East, which has absolutely nothing. Remember, Saudi Arabia only has 33 years left of oil. And a new exclusive economic zone between Turkey and Libya also interferes with the location of the pipeline. Oh, you know, the exclusive economic zone where the U.N. said Turkey is now exclusive to Libya. So right between the island of Cyprus and Crete, Turkey has now said, that's all my water, tough noogies. You remember the stuff we've been talking about for a year and a half? This is where it comes down to it. When I tell you President Trump is a genius and he has the best military strategist behind them, it is 100% true because we knew what they were doing. But in the background, look. Look at what we're doing. And, you know, tomorrow the prime minister of Greece will be in Washington. Today he's in Florida hanging out with all the Greeks tomorrow. And I'm so upset. And if Angelo, if you're listening, he has the Greek version radio news. I am super jealous because he's like right there with uh, with him. And I really hope he asks him and I'm telling him because I'm pretty sure he's listening. Ask him you know, what he thinks of the economic zone. I'd really like to know firsthand. So this is it. And I'll tweet out that picture so you see. It's literally going between Cyprus and Crete. That is Greece and Cypriot waters that Turkey said, well, now they're mine because I'm helping Libya and such. This is why they got their panties in a twist. Remember, Pompeo told us about it in October too. This is why we should listen to the leaders. Israel might very well be on its way to become a new gas supplier to Europe, but Turkey is signaling that it will not let it happen without a fight. Ah, without a fight. You know, the fight where they're so spread thin, sending stuff to Somalia, sending stuff to Kenya, sending stuff to Libya, which, by the way, the Libyans don't want them. And here's what Egypt had to say about that. Egypt authorities strongly condemn a vote by Turkey's parliament to allow a true deployment to Libya, the foreign minister said in a statement. Egypt said any such deployment could negatively affect the stability of the Mediterranean region and called on international community to urgently respond to the move. Turkey parliament had approved a bill to deploy troops to Libya in support of the embattled United Nations recognized government of national accord, paving the way for increased military cooperation despite criticisms from opposition legislators. So that's Egypt. Egypt. Oh, the one that's supposed to hate Israel, right? Supposed to hate the Jews saying, no, Turkey can't do this because they're like in our territory and we need to like get, you know, independent nations right now. We're not doing this thing. And Turkey's like, well, I don't care. I'm still coming in and America's backing me. Remember how President Trump used to pat 
Comey on the back. He used to pat all of them on the back. That's what you need to look at. Huh? I told you, he was the kid that nobody wants to play with. He's like the guy in those village stories where they're like, oh, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you peed in the well, so nobody's your friend. This is exactly what we're seeing. Guys, this is one of the best Intel military strategies ever. Uh, this is how you get things done. The, the Alexander the Great Way. This is exactly what <laughs> is going to liberate the world. And here are the Germans talking about Erdogan in Libya and what's at stake if Turkey sends troops to Libya, which, by the way, today they just sent them. All in Turkey, Parliament will be voting later today on whether to send troops to Libya. Turkish troops will be deployed to back up the forces of the internationally recognized government in Libya's capital, Tripoli. The city is surrounded by soldiers loyal to the powerful warlord Khalifa Haftar. His troops are fighting in the suburbs and have yet to launch a general assault on the capital. Some 2,000 people have been killed so far in the fighting. Well, Turkey's planned deployment is meant to protect its investments in Libya and boost its claims to oil and gas in the Mediterranean. But the UN is worried about an escalation in the Libyan conflict. Russia, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia support General Haftar. Russia, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia, the U.S., Greece, Cyprus. We can have the list go on and on. Support Libyan, um, uh, the Libyan army by Haftar, not Tripoli. Remember, Greece expelled the ambassadors. This already happened. Cyprus expelled the ambassadors. This already happened. And the ambassadors of what? That are U.N. recognized. What is the U.N. up to? Why is the UN everywhere? What are they doing? This is so much fun. You have nothing to worry about. Everything is coming up to the surface. That's the way it is. And you know what's even more incredible? Is that up to the surface is coming what I've been talking about for a very long time, which is Chief Justice Roberts meeting with the Obama administration and take a listen to this really short clip of, um, you know, of Tom Fitton talking about it. Take a listen. This interest in Clapper and Brennan and so forth that this went all the way to the top. Oh, Obama knew. He for sure knew. You know, that last IG report on... He for sure knew because he held that meeting with all of them. Millie Weaver retweeted that. I actually had it on my setup so you know what's coming out this week. You know, the only thing I don't want is a boating accident where he dies and gets hero decorated and then we can't talk about him or hold them all responsible. That better not happen. I want to see the walk of shame. Don't have a boating accident. I'll see you all tomorrow, same time, same place. God bless. Mm-hmm.